Chapter 19 of The History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume 1, by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joyce Martin. Chapter 19 will make the reader little the wiser. The greatest part of the time that Mr. Trueworth and Mr. Staples stayed with Miss Betsy was taken up with talking of Captain Hysom, his passion, his behavior, and the manner in which he received his dismission afforded indeed an ample field for conversation. Lady Mellison and Miss Flora relating the answers he had given them on their pressing him to come back. Mr. Trueworth said that it must be owned that he had shown a strength of resolution which few men in love could boast of. "'Love, sir, according to my notions of that passion,' replied Mr. Staple, "'is not to be felt by every heart. Many deceive themselves in this point, and take for it what is in reality no more than a bare liking of a beautiful object. The captain seems to me to have a soul as well as form, cast in too rough a mould to be capable of those refined and delicate ideas, which alone constitute and are worthy to be called love.' "'Yet,' said Lady Mellison, "'I have heard Mr. Goodman give him an excellent character, "'and above all that he is one of the best-natured men breathing.' "'That may be indeed, madam,' resumed Mr. Staple, "'and some allowances ought to be made for the manner in which he has been bred, "'though,' added he, "'I have known many commanders, not only of India men, "'but of other trading vessels, who have all their lifetime used the seas, yet have known how to behave with politeness enough when on shore. Mr. Trueworth agreed with Mr. Staple, that though the amorous declaration of a person of the captain's age, and the fashion of bringing up to one of Miss Betsy's, exposed him to the deserved ridicule of as many as knew it, yet ought not this particular foible be any reflection on his occupation, which merited to be held in the greatest veneration, as the strength and opulence of the nation was owing to its commerce in foreign ports. This was highly obliging to Mr. Staple, whose father had been a merchant, and Mr. Trueworth, being the first who took his leave, perceiving the other stayed supper, he said abundance of handsome things in his praise, and seemed to have conceived so high an esteem of him that Miss Betsy was diverted in her mind to think how he would change his way of speaking when once the secret of his rivalship should come out, as she knew it could not fail to do in a short time. But as easy Mr. Staple was at present on this occasion, Mr. Trueworth was no less anxious and perplexed. He was convinced that the other visited Miss Betsy on no other score than that of love, and appeared to him equally certain by the freedom with which he saw him treated in the family that he was likewise generally encouraged, if not by Miss Betsy herself, at least by her guardian. His thoughts were not wholly taken up with the means but which he might gain the advantage over a rival whom he looked upon as a formidable one not only for his personal accomplishments but also for his having the good fortune to address her before himself. All he could do was prevent as much as possible all opportunities of his entertaining Miss Betsy in private, till the arrival of Mr. Francis Thoughtless, from whose friendship and the influence he had over his sister he hoped much. He waited on her the next day very early, Mr. Goodman happening to dine that day later than ordinary on account of some friends he had with him, and the cloth not being drawn. 
Miss Betsy went and received him in another room. Having this favorable opportunity, he immediately began to prepare for putting into execution one of those stratagems he had contrived for separating her from Mr. Staple. After some few tender speeches, he fell into a discourse concerning the weather, said he was sorry to perceive the day so much shortened, that summer would soon be gone, and added that as that beautiful season could last but a small time, the most should be made of it. I came, said he, to entreat the favor of you and Miss Flora to permit me to accompany you in an airing through Brompton, Kensington, Chelsea, and the other little villages on this side of London. Miss Betsy replied that she would go with all her heart and believed she could answer the same for Miss Flora, there being only two grave dons and their wives within, whom she would be glad to be disengaged from. But if not, said she, I can send for a young lady in the neighborhood who would be glad to give us her company. She sent first, however, to Miss Flora, who immediately came in, and the proposal being made accepted it with pleasure, and added that she would ask her mamma for orders for the coach to be got ready. It need not, madam, said Mr. Trueworth, my servant is here, and he shall get one from Blunt's. But Miss Flora insisted on their going in Mr. Goodman's saying she was certain neither he nor her mamma would go out that day, as the company they had were come to stay, on which Mr. Trueworth complied. When she had left the room, "'Ah, oh, madam,' said he to Miss Betsy, "'could I flatter myself with believing I owed this conversation to any other motive than your complaisance to a person who has some share in your brother's friendship, I should be blessed indeed. But, ah, I see I have a rival.' a rival dangerous to my hopes, not only on the account of his merits, but also as he had the honor of declaring his passion before me. The fortunate Mr. Staple, added he, kissing her hand, may perhaps have already made some impression on that heart I would sacrifice my all to gain, and I am come too late. Rather too soon, replied she, smiling, both of you equally too soon, admitting his sentiments for me to be as you imagine. For I assure you, sir, my heart has hitherto been entirely my own, and is not very likely to incline to the reception of any guest of the nature you mean, for yet a long, long time. Whoever thinks to gain me must not be in a hurry like Captain Hysom. Mr. Trueworth was about to make some passionate reply when Miss Flora returned, and told them the coach would be ready immediately, for she herself had spoke to the coachman, and bid him put the horses to with all the haste he could, on which the lover expressed his sense of the obligation he had to her for taking this trouble, on the politest terms. A person of much less discernment than this gentleman might easily perceive that the way to be agreeable to Miss Betsy was not to be too serious. He therefore assumed all the vivacity he was master of, both before they went and during the whole course of the little tour they made, in which it is not to be doubted, but he regaled them with everything the places they passed through could furnish. The ladies were so well pleased, both with their entertainment and the company of the person who entertained them, that they seemed not in haste to go home, and he had the double satisfaction of enjoying the presence of his mistress, and of giving at least one day's disappointment on his rival. He was confirmed in the truth of this conjecture, when, on returning to Mr. Goodman's, which was not till some hours after close of day, 
The footman who opened the door told Miss Betsy that Mr. Staple had been to wait upon her. After this, it may be supposed he had a night of much more tranquillity than the preceding one had afforded him. The next morning, as early as he thought decently permitted, he made a visit to Miss Betsy under the pretense of coming to inquire if her health had not suffered by being abroad in the night air, and how she had rested. She received him with a great deal of sprightliness, and replied she found herself so well after it as to be ready for such another jaunt, whenever he had a fancy for it. "'I take you at your word, madam,' cried he, transported to hear she anticipated what he came on purpose to entreat. "'I am ready this moment, if you please,' continued he, "'and we will either take a barge and go up the river, or a coach to Hampstead, or any of those places, just to diversify the scene.' You have only to say what you choose. She then told him there was a necessity of deferring their ramble till the afternoon because Miss Flora was abroad and would not return till dinner-time. As to what route we shall take, and everything belonging to it, said she, I leave it entirely to you. I know nobody has a more elegant taste or a better judgment. I have taken care, replied he, to give the world a high opinion of me in both, by making my addresses to, to the amiable Miss Betsy. But, madam, pursued he, since we are alone, will you give me leave to tell you how I have employed my hours this morning? Why, in dressing, breakfasting, and perhaps a little reading, answered she. A small time, madam, suffices for the two former articles with me, resumed he, but I have indeed been reading happening to dip into the works of a poet who wrote near a century ago. I found some words so adapted to the situation of my heart, and so agreeable to the sense of the answer I was about to make yesterday to what you said, concerning the perseverance of a lover, that I could not forbear putting some notes to them, which I beg you will give me your opinion of. In speaking these words he took a piece of paper out of his pocket, and sung the following stanza. The patriarch, to gain a wife, chaste, beautiful, and young, served fourteen years, a painful life, and never thought it long. Oh, were you to reward such cares, and life so long would stay, not fourteen, but four hundred years would seem but as one day. Mr. Trueworth had a fine voice, and great skill in music, having perfected himself in that science from the best masters when he was in Italy. Miss Betsy was so charmed both with the words and the notes that she made him sing them several times over, and afterwards sent them down in her music-book to the end that she might get them by heart and join her voice in concert with her spinet. Mr. Trueworth would not make his morning visit too long, believing it might be her time to dress against dinner, as she was now in such a disabil as ladies usually put on on their first rising. So, after having received a second promise from her of giving him her company that day abroad, took his leave, highly satisfied with the progress he imagined he had made in her good graces. The wind happening to grow a little boisterous, though the weather otherwise was fair and clear, made Mr. Trueworth think a land journey would be more agreeable to the ladies than to venture themselves upon the water. He therefore procured a handsome livery-coach, and attended by his two servants, went to Mr. Goodman's. The ladies were already in expectation of him, and did not make him wait a moment. 
nothing extraordinary happening at this entertainment nor at those others which for several succeeding days without interruption mr trueworth prevailed upon his mistress to accept it would be superfluous to trouble the reader with the particulars of them mr staple all this time was very uneasy he had not seen miss betsy for a whole week and though he knew not as yet that he was deprived of that satisfaction by her being engrossed by a rival yet he now began to be sensible she had less regard for him than he had flattered himself he had inspired her with and this of itself was a sufficient mortification to a young gentleman who was not only passionately in love but also could not without being guilty of great injustice to his own merits but think of himself not altogether unworthy of succeeding this however was no more than a slight sample of the inquietudes which the blind god sometimes inflicts on hearts devoted to him as will hereafter appear in the progress of this history end of chapter nineteen recording by joyce martin